Hello, this is Erin Weir. The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. On today's podcast, we're joined by our good friend, Garrison Hollinger, who last joined us as a guest in season one. Garrison is an interior designer and the principal of Garrison Hollinger Interior Design in Portland, Oregon, who loves designing functional and beautiful spaces. So I just want to share, and Garrison, I'm going to let you tell a little bit about your, um, you know, about some of the things that you've gone through over time in the way of introducing yourself, because I think most everybody has met you at one point or another. But what I would love for you to share is uh, some of the biggest challenges, the external challenges that have impacted you over the course of time, and maybe why it has become so important for you to think ahead and plan for industry changes, economic changes, maybe company changes, competitive changes. What are some of the biggest things that have impacted you over the course of time that have made you really start doing this well ahead of um, having the incidents happen? That's it. That's all you want me to talk about. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's it. Oh my God. I think that it's, you know, that it's interesting, uh, <laughs> the conversations scale that you and I have um, via text. So I, it's lovely to see your face too. And hopefully we'll get to meet in person this year. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, with our firm, uh, it was uh, quite a rapid expansion and scaling. And so that therefore kind of put me in a really unique situation to where uh, it became really about managing and forecasting um, not only financials, but expectations, uh, which really has led me to search probably to unusual avenues. I know Gail is always asking, she's like, how do you find this stuff? Um, and it's just something I'm always kind of got my radar on. I'm really always listening. Um, you know, it's it definitely was, I feel like in our industry, I was one of the first people that was talking about um, COVID. Um, you know, it was something that I saw on the radar in um, late 2019. Um, we definitely knew uh, by the January 17th, I had initiated a continuity, uh, a, a business continuity plan within my team. Uh, and we had designated five people. And by January 27th, we were already ordering um, computers, laptops, all kinds of um, technology to deploy the entire office to be remote, uh, mostly just because I was listening to logistics and learning and trying to understand what was going on in China. Um, and when I heard that the factories were not reopening after Chinese New Year, I knew, I'm like, this is not a subtle issue. This doesn't happen in our world. Um, so it's just always, I think, you know, trying to look at those things. One of the things that's happening is, is you when you go to the store, you'll find out that, you know, the cereal box uh, that used to be $6 is now $10, but the size didn't change. So that's called skimflation. And what that is happening, you'll see that the services are diminishing. And it's something I think that we have to pay attention. And it also wake, it's a wake up call for us. Um, you know, there's a slump inflation. Has any, um, so it's something that it's a lot of what, um, you know, some of the investors and uh, people who are really watching the markets and the futures is something they really look at. 
Um, and when we see, you know, slumpfation is usually when you're seeing the workforce decrease, but also uh, demand increasing. Um, but with the skimping, the skimping is really, it's probably one of the most dangerous things that's going to happen to us, I think, in America, is that you'll continue to see that, um, you know, the workforce isn't there. And so the, how do we deliver the service that we want and still get the money we want? And sometimes there's, there's a veil wrapped around what we're doing. Um, and I think that we even find that in my own um, company. You know, we're always forecasting to just try and figure out, like, okay, how do I, you know, it's uh, prior to COVID, there was 32 employees. Um, and so I was always front-loading projects and trying to have projects in the queue, trying to forecast. Um, I have this crazy spreadsheet that I've shared a couple of times with Gail and Aaron that I do to forecast. Um, and the forecasting is because we're pretty much set fees, but we're able to look at um, the forecasting by phases. And so I kind of forecast our hours that are needed and the demand of workforce by phase within my company. I can then break that down by my average hourly that um, we are billing out and it helps forecast for me the staff needs. So it's kind of my driver for like, are we busy or you know, it's trying to determine sometimes the busy work um, isn't always the profitable work, right? And I think that's something that it, I'm always really trying to pay attention. And in, um, I started my business in 2010 in my attic. Um, and most of you probably have heard some of this story. Um, by 20, uh, there was, Lisa was my first hire and she had been part of the layoff she was with a firm of 220 that mostly focused on hospitality and cruise ships. Um, and there was 90 people laid off in one day um, where she was working. And then another 110 people were laid off, I believe. And they finally dissolved in 2010. And so I was able to pick her up, someone with really great skills, uh, add her to our team. And, you know, we were working in the attic. And eventually by the end of the year, there was um, two part-time people and two full-time people and we were still in the attic and my husband was like please get out of the house <laughs> you know like uh and uh so then you know we grew quickly in the first three years there were 16 employees um and it was really kind of a wake-up call I, I found myself taking on just any job um that came our way that kind of met the, the criteria and it was you know, really trying to evaluate why are we doing this? And I think it's something that um, in by 20, by the end of 2014, it took me about a year and a half to slow down and ramp back in a way because there were 13 individuals that were working on residential projects and I'm in Portland, Oregon. And so it's a rather small market. Um, we're not even a million people. The greater area is of course, close to 2 million, I believe now, but it's a pretty small market. Um, it's also a market that um, I, I think they're more proud of a Subaru in a driveway than they are um, any kind of other name brand car. So it's kind of a, no one really shows their cards or house proud. So we were sometimes searching desperately and casting our net wide to find the ideal client. And so what we did is uh, I started shifting. I took the skills of the employees within our team um, you know, because I started watching the market and I really started looking at the forecast and the futures of housing. And, you know, for me, I'm always paying attention to the regions that I'm in and it's usually the Rockies and West, but I'm looking at permits. And so it's just kind of one of those early indicators that you can watch and look at the permitting and what's going on. 
um, because those are the those are initial uh, indicators for us if we're seeing peaks, spikes, if we're seeing drops. And it really helps me start forecasting. And what we started seeing uh, back in 2014 were these like drops that were happening in residential um, permits. And I don't really look at mechanical permits. Those are a little bit tougher, right? Where they're broken down like electrical or um, some of those other pieces, but looking at new home and also larger additions. And, and we started seeing the multifamily really picking up. And then we started seeing legislation. So something else I look for is new legislation. Um, it just kind of helps you give an indicator of, um, you know, by belonging sometimes to a builders, a builders association or other networks. Um, for me, I didn't want to lose any of those 16 individuals, but I'm like, okay, how can I take and garner the work that they've done and move it into these other areas? And so multifamily is one of the things that we learned. And so I moved to three people over and we started taking on and we got five new projects in 2014. Uh, in 2015, we finally got down to six people working in residential. We narrowed in um, our work. And then, you know, then of course it began to explode. I don't know what happened. I didn't really plan that very well. Uh, the growth was crazy um, and we started doing hospitality work. And so I think that it's something that for me, I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on and trying to understand, um, you know, you have these really wonderful employees and talented um, people. And it's like, I try to hone in on what their skills are and what they're really great at. Um, and so those are some of the things I think that that was a big spill of information. Uh, but those are the things that I have looked at, you know, over the past, you know, 10 years. Um, this is year 12 in business. It's crazy. It feels like the last two have been seven years. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, we, we definitely had some hard times. Uh, it definitely was not great for us. As you may know, when I mentioned the word Portland, it's like, Oh God, are you okay? Right. Uh, could someone hand me the Teflon vest, please? Um, it's things have changed here. Um, but I think it is like just really, truly looking ahead. And it's something that, you know, I, should we stop Gail before I go on to the stock yeah. market? conversation or no just keep going uh you know for me uh you know i think what started all this uh where gail's like you should come to a board meeting and just <laughs> let other people hear you talk mm -hmm. um but i think one of the things you know we talked about early on that you were kind of shocked i'm like the stock market is not going to collapse um it's just not why because for the first time ever um gen z and gen y they're non they don't care they have no fear and they are sinking money into our investments and our future. Um, and so it really is a high prediction. And I started seeing it last summer where the investments that they are making and the incomes, right? Cause everyone's probably heard of Henry. Yeah. Um, I love Henry. Do you want to go ahead and explain that just for the people who might not have heard of that? High earners, not rich yet. Mm-hmm. Henry, but Henry loves their Henry doesn't, they don't care if they see it on Instagram and they want it, they're going to buy it. They don't care if it's a Dornbrock faucet, right? $3,500, $5,000. And it goes in their shitty little condo, you know, they bought for 300. They don't care. Um, whereas like for me, I'm like, Oh my God, Kim, are we sure we can afford that? <laughs> you know, can we afford that? Um, but I think that it's, you know, Henry is a wonderful, um, person because they really have influenced our economy and they continue to put money into the economy. And it's something that I think it gives me great strength 
um, to know and, and belief that there's not going to be this collapse of the stock market, that they're continuing to put money into cryptos and all kinds of other avenues. Um, and it's just, you know, just kind of doesn't really completely directly apply to us, but it's like, how do you take this in um, and help you forecast for the future? And for me, I'm trying to be really careful right now. We've narrowed in even more um, in this time where it's managing expectations and also just the output. Uh, we're down to three individuals now on the team that work in residential. So, you know, I was telling Gail that we're, I'm, we're not even, maybe we want one new client a month, maybe. We're trying to be really, really careful. Um, and some of our projects, you know, we brought on uh, Architect as well many years ago, I think six years ago. Um, and John does all of our custom home design because we found that the, the synergy was missing. There was this piece of the architect or working with a drafts person who just wouldn't listen, to be honest, or wouldn't collaborate sometimes. And we're like, why can't we do it? So last year we did eight custom home designs where we started them, um, you know, with doing land development and processing through that. Um, and we work with a separate uh, independent structural uh, engineer. And then those move into interiors and they, then the next um, were compartmentalized in the way that we do FF&E as well. And so that's a separate team. And there's four members uh, that only handle soft goods um, and case goods and mill work. And so it's just some of the ways that we've divided up our team. And then the FF&E team is really wonderful in the way that um, they can kind of, they're very agile um, where they can work in the commercial world or they can work in residential and they're hyper-focused. And so they're sometimes, um, even now, I think Megan, they're, I think she's going to two or three um, trade shows a year right now, whether it's NEWH or BDNY, HD, whatever, High Point, um, just really trying to be an expert. And that way it doesn't spread the other people thin um, on our team to where, you know, someone who's on a commercial or hospitality team is really trying to get in to the nitty gritty with someone's powder room because they become very emotional sometimes about their kitchen or their powder room that I find my commercial designer does not have the patience. Uh, it's so funny when I first signed on, I will say it looked like we're doing a, um, a wine tasting um, room right now for a company. Oh my God. And it's just one little tasting room and they want to, I think, replicate it. We're learning. And there were 11 people on the call last week. And I'm like, oh, God, this is designing by committee, right? Okay. So you covered a lot in a just a few minutes. So there were a lot of things that you brought up here. And um, so talk to me a little bit about some of the things, or if you were to pick the top two or three that... Mm -hmm everybody on the call should be paying attention to right now, which ones are those? And we haven't even brought up supply chain. So we've, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. So yeah. um, which three do you think we need to be focusing on and why? I think it's really, I think it's very important to get above the 10 or 30,000 level yep. of us right here. I think it's really important to look at the world. We are definitely dependent um, when you look at what's happened in, in Canada, it was very predictable that it was going to happen um, and what you're seeing um, with our auto industry. And that will, of course, create pent up energy. I believe you should look at man. I believe you should look at manufacturing 
I believe, and also overall production, I think is where I would say it's something you should really pay attention to. Okay. Outside of just our industry. Okay. In looking at those particular statistics, what are the statistics mm-hmm. that you're looking at and what was the impact on our, our people? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're, we're just one line item. Um, and I think it's important to, to try and evaluate that what I'm looking at typically is to try and understand, of course, everyone's talking about containers. Um, you know, it's, everyone knows that you were probably in the 22 to $2,700 for a container. And of course now it's, it could be upwards of 30,000 per container now um, to put it on that boat. Those are numbers that when you start seeing those spikes, we should try and think about why and where that's coming from. And, and what I think it, it may not hinder or stop your current flow. I think though it's, there's a, and this is just my belief. I believe that um, looking at spikes and increases in cost or surcharges um, will predict fear by the consumer as that's something that I'm always paying attention to. Okay. So uh, I think a couple of other things. So the permitting, that makes total sense. Checking in on the indicators, maybe the drops or the spikes in terms of understanding how your particular marketplace is going to be looking for the future. Because I think one thing that we have certainly seen is with the cost of building materials having gone up significantly that um, there's no way that that can't affect the housing starts and the remodeling that's being done. Because what I'm hearing on a regular basis across the country from many designers is that the cost of um, the costs have gotten so out of line that in some cases the clients are using their current furniture because it's just too expensive on top of all of the unpredictable costs that are coming up in the construction process to be able to set money aside also for furniture. So what are your thoughts on that, Garrison? I think the wealthy are going to do what they're going to do, right? I mean, those clients are, I don't even see them slowing down on plane trip. It's crazy. Like they'll still jump in the plane for dinner. Like it's just so weird. Um, And so I do think though, it's, we know that, I mean, I, and I may have mentioned it briefly, we're a line item, right? We're just the hired help. Mm -hmm. Unless you're actually putting equity into projects, um, you know, that, you're doing a spec home for someone and you're going to get part of the profit when they sell it or into development or hospitality. Otherwise we're just the hired help. And I, I realize that we are a line item and we have to be really mindful as every line item goes up. If you're, you know, if you have a home and the wood line item alone is going up 30 to 60,000, if the drywall is going up 50 to 80,000, those line items will eventually um, put fear into someone I would also say to listen to, um, depends on the type of construction you're in. And if you, most we're seeing, I'm also seeing a trend now where it used to be all cash. I don't, it seems like almost every level of client is now financing. They are really wanting the money. I mean, I have developers right now telling me it's free money. The interest rates are still so low. Like who cares? Like move my money around. But what you want to listen for is how are the comps going? Can they get the comps? Can they find a comp? Mm -hmm. 
and and that's the problem right in new development i think and as um, cities or boundaries begin to expand can they find the market that allows for a comp and what will happen is the financial institute will finally say this is it here's your cap you can't go over after 3.5 million we're not we're not part of this mm-hmm. and i i think that cumulatively that could affect all of us if you have one homeowner that's like you know what i'm just going to wait uh, and if people go to another dinner party and see, you know, Sally's like old dining room table from her last house, they're like, what? It might, like, she might on the way home, her husband might be like, can't we just keep our stuff too? So I think that it's, you know, cumulative mm-hmm. is my thought. Okay. Well, that's good to think about for sure. And as far as the legislation, give me some examples of some of the things that you were seeing in legislation mm-hmm. that made yeah. you wary. I think uh, for me in my region is inclusionary inclusionary housing. It ah. can be devastating for um, developers, mm-hmm. right? Because there's yeah. someone's got to pay for it. And so I think it's really trying to pay attention um, or when you find, when you hear about restrictions um, on codes within a state, it's mm-hmm. to really pay attention when they start uh, limiting square footage on lots or when you start seeing setbacks change. To me, I think those are indicators and they're pinches and why. Now go back and investigate the why. Um, and for me, what we saw is when, you know, there was a time in, uh, I believe it was 2017, there was an inclusionary act that happened in Denver and in Portland, and it was a 20% straight across the board. If you built uh, any multifamily that had 16 units or more, there was an inclusionary clause of 20% of the units must be set aside for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. it's probably going to take money out of the fun stuff that I want to do. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just looking at those and, and um, you know, there's a lot of different initiatives and it's trying to examine why, like what? And that's the hard part, right? Is to determine, is this going to affect single family housing or, you know, the focus of my business? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about the raising of the uh, interest rates this year? I think it's wonderful. Um, I think it will help stabilize things. I think it'll kind of, maybe, I, this is just me. I hope it's like, you know, that person who pulled in front of you and parked in that spot and you just about had it that day. And you just like, I just want a parking spot. Um, I remember Jay and I, when we first lived in Chicago, we lived in a little suburb called Oak Park and we wanted to go out so bad. We were younger. We thought we were hip and, but you couldn't get a cab out of the city back to Oak Park, our little community. And so we would drive and drive and drive and then just say, let's just screw it. Let's just go home. And we wouldn't go out. I feel that way sometimes mm-hmm. in our economy too. And I think that that is greed right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, and I think interest rates rising will take away some of the greed. I think it'll take away the gouging. I think it's going to like put a really big, like spike in someone's tire to just stop it. I mean, there's sometimes I feel like there's no reason why some of these people are gouging others. And so I believe it will even the playing field. I'm a little passionate about that. Sorry. I didn't know it was going to be. No, um, I love that. Well, and I love the fact that you're you're talking about this in such a maybe counterintuitive way, because honestly, a lot of people are freaking out because they're saying, oh, the interest rates are going up. 
but it uh, but it also is, can slow down some markets which are overinflated. Uh -huh. And so I'll use the example of Denver because you brought it up and that's where I live. Um, the interest rates are going up and I, I have to agree with you. I think it's a good thing because our prices have gone through the roof. And there are a few of you, I see some nodding heads. And for those of you who are in markets that are going up rapidly, the uh, the access to the inventory of homes has gone way down, which is a real problem because what's happening is, for example, in our area, the prices have gone up um, you know, you, people are paying 20% over list just to get in to the queue and they may not get the price or they may not get the house anyway. So it's, um, it's making it almost too easy for people that are developing properties or flipping properties. They're back in the market and they are also increasing um, the pricing of the marketplace, which means that the more a client pays for a house, the less they have to spend on other stuff. Right. So, you know, you can, I, I definitely see what you're talking about there. And I, I think it's important for us to think about that. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I, I also believe that the low interest rate, that free money mm -hmm. is not healthy, right? I don't believe it's a healthy direction. And I think it also, unfortunately, it fueled, our housing market in many of these desirable areas to where uh, mom and dad became Gen Z and Gen Y's financer. Um, and then they would go finance this second home, but yet I have five employees and I know very well what they make. <laughs> um, and I just, I can't imagine there's any way they could come up with a couple hundred thousand dollars for a down payment mm -hmm. the third or fourth year in their career. And I think what that will do is it will actually it will help our housing crisis that we have in America. And I think it will help level out by increasing the interest rates. Um, and I think in the end, we all win because now you have real homeowners living in homes that need our assistance and what, and then the confidence will come back. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, what else? Um, of course, we've got all the stuff going on with Russia too. So we haven't talked about that, but uh, you know, unrest and fear mm -hmm. of war, things like that. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, there's always going to be positioning. Um, I think if anything, I'm, most of us all know when um, tragedy or adversity comes in front of us, uh, we are, I think, a better country. Mm -hmm. And I think it really solidifies us. And um, there may be political unrest or differences in our country. Um, but I think in times like this, it, it really makes you, it makes, I think, Americans stop and really are thankful um, for the way that, you know, we do come together. And I, there's a, there's a reason, um, you know, to be part of a conglomerate that cares, you know, and that's the United Nations. I think it's something that it does build strength in who we are. So, I mean, for me, it's, yeah, sure. It's, I'm look at the amount of money we spend as a country on the military. Yeah. Um, I know this sounds horrible, but it's okay if we have to use it sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, So I think that I'll, there are a few questions here and there that I'm going to open this up so everybody else can also ask questions. And George, do you want to go ahead and start? You had a question. Hi, Garrison. How are you? Good. Um, I wanted to know is, um, so you 
mentioned Henry and mm -hmm. is there any sort of, is, is there a different strategy to marketing to them that you're seeing is effective or what are you doing to market to them? You know, from my understanding is with Henry and what we've seen work, uh, not only for myself, but a few other friends, um, they want the brand and they want to be identified with brand. And so therefore they want you to be identified. And so it's, it's this weird flip of here we are again, and we're the interior designers and it's all this work that we've done in our portfolio and you kind of got to support a brand and there's a lot of brands and manufacturers that lean on us to support them. And, you know, you're, so by tagging and by mentioning them, um, it, you know, it could, I'm not sure if it works for everyone um, in their efforts, but it is something that we have found that um, like with monogram, I mean, it's crazy that to see, you know, these people who are, you know, under 28 years old that are spending, you know, $40,000 on their appliance packages um, in their first home. But a lot of it is that identifying, you know, who else has it. And then if you, if you find, and I would say this is, you know, if you're looking at TikTok and you're following some of the design designers that are on TikTok and are truly influencing people, um, you know, Dearborn Studio, is anyone following her, what she's doing? It's crazy. Uh, and it's like one kitchen, what she's doing. Um, and she's now, I mean, I just heard her speak at KBiz. I mean, she's developing a whole other branch of e-services because of these young people that are hiring. Them. I mean, it's crazy. And I believe she's doing her e-consulting. I may quote this wrong. I believe it's, I, I believe it's 2,200 for four hours. Um, Good for her. You're in, you're done, you're out, no documentation. So I think that that is it, George, is like the creating, a, uh, trying to identify with this person, what is it they really want? And it's the look, the feel, and the brand that um, the influencers have. That is, that's great, though. And I am loving seeing the higher fees that people are getting. It makes I think ex sense. the expert is yeah. like, man, did that do us all good or what? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the more we set those prices higher, um, the less we're dependent on people buying the product through us. Right. And uh, there are ways it actually simplifies the business. And I uh -huh. had this belief years ago, and this is when I first started this business. We're at 14 years now. And so, you know, I talked about the possibility of, only doing fees and not charging for markups and not doing purchasing. Because what happens is if you really look at the majority of the problems that you have in your business and the more the majority of the overhead of people and all the things associated with it are around purchasing. So if you went to a straight model and we actually have a client that went through VIP and was following that model where she was just charging fees, and, um, it, you know, it just simplifies it because you give over the plan and the client's got to execute and it's their problem and they can't get upset with you when the supply chain issues are just ridiculous and uh, uncontrollable. Yeah, we so, just moved two. We just moved two clients that yeah. are in the current interiors or uh -huh. interior architecture phase. One of them, she was being a little, mm -hmm, and I'm like, I, I don't want to be responsible for this. 
So we just kind of walked her right on over to a trade rep at one of our higher end furniture stores. And it's like, good luck. <laughs> yeah, we've done that before. But we still get, right? You still get your hourly because you're yeah, babysitting. You still get your hourly. Yeah. You're doing the adult supervision. Your yep. Yeah. It's wonderful. So mm -hmm. that is really coming back. And I think mm -hmm. there's a possibility of that being an opportunity for all of us in the, in the future is to rethink our, our model and decide if we even want to be in that purchasing piece, because yes, that's how we make money, but you know what? You don't have to grow as big a, a company and as big of a team if you're just doing straight design and um, straight consulting. I think it also depends on the your ideal client, like who Absolutely. you're trying to serve, right? Like the high-end ultra luxury demographic, like that's oh, not yeah. a, a model for them, right? And it yeah. doesn't sound like like Henry is um, is also going to be the ideal client for like a lot of us as luxury interior design firms, right? Because right. our ideal client like doesn't just want to have the money to spend and is going to splurge like they they do, right? They do for sure have have the money to spend. Um, on, on luxury interiors and not just want to like look the part, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yet, yet, I mean, this is, this is what, um, it doesn't scare me, but this is what I'm, I'm being conscious of ginger is that our clients are changing. Right. I mean, as clients age, age out and, you know, granted I'm at a cert certain age that hopefully when my clients age out, I am too, but, um, as these younger clients start coming up, how do we, or, or do we even want to, which is always the big question because like we're in the Bay area and there's, you know, tech and all this tech money. And we've had a, a handful of commercial tech projects, but we have but we have had no residential tech clients and we don't really want them because of how they work or how they make decisions isn't in alignment with sort of how we want to work on projects. But I'm also wonder, and it's not a scarcity thing, but I'm also wondering, it's like, is there going to come a time where we do have to start marketing or bend to them? Well, you know? and I think too, like not all, um, you know, that there's, there's definitely going to be, there's a young demographic that exists and they're not Henry's. You know, the, very, you know what I mean? True. And that, yeah. that's our ideal client, right? Like uh, potentially, right. But, but there's a whole category of people, young, wealthy yeah. people, Silicon Valley and beyond who do yeah. have the money to spend, you know? And I think it's yeah. so important to really look closely at that because, you know, there's always going to be an ebb and a flow of tides and things that are happening in the world and in our industry, but like staying, um, staying focused on who our ideal client is, is like, I think is really, really critical. I think, do we pivot? Do we adjust? Yes. But yeah. we, we have to be so ever aware because man, that that's a slippery slope. When we start letting on, letting people on board who don't represent our values and our brand, exactly what you were saying, George, like those yeah. kinds, there's certain kind of people, they don't make decisions that align with my values and the way I see things. That's never going to be ideal client. You're never going to make them into one, you know? And then we all right. know what that road looks like. Yep. Well, we yeah, also yeah. have to remember too that we're you don't need a hundred clients, right? No. And so you can be picky about who you want to work with. And I don't think you want to. And I a hundred percent agree with you, Ginger, because you don't want to change your um, decisions about who you're going to take on 
and not follow your values because it will bite you in the butt every single time. Mm -hmm. So you really have to get strong about this and don't uh, deviate because it is going to make it hard. Um, the other thing I would say, and this is kind of a, and this is part of the great resignation <laughs> that we're all going through where, yes, it's causing you problems with hiring, but it's also creating a very interesting situation where a lot of people who are currently in roles where they're not happy culturally with companies are leaving and going and getting other jobs and getting big increases in their salaries because uh, the job market is so tight, which also gives them more money to spend. So it's kind of an interesting situation and a very subtle thing to be aware of. Think about. Yeah, Garrison, I have a question. So we also listened to uh, when you met with Gail in October as well, and quite a few times. And we, we have taken a lot of notes and implemented a lot of things based off of that. But one question, I always go to the how. And so when you're talking about seeing trends and recognizing an opportunity to change, to make sure that you're in a good position in the future, um, the commercial from residential keeps coming up for us. And so we're wondering, do you have any recommendations on how to truly make that transition where we're fully residential, but we keep having these opportunities pop up that we go, okay, this is probably a good sign for us that we should break into the commercial market, but how do we truly, like none of our contacts are there. How do we truly make that? Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, no, um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, for me, I was very fortunate that we were, it was in a downturning market when I started my company. Cause I was kind of, I was working at a furniture store and I'm like, this can't be that hard. Right. Like, I mean, I'm helping these designers every day who are blowing their budget on the rug. I hear the client go, okay, we have 30,000 for this room. And I, the client would pick out this $20,000 rug. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to work. Um, so I was very fortunate, right? That we had, we were, you know, garnering people with a lot of commercial experience and they were working in residential. So I had that. And that's kind of one of my things for me. This is just, this is me. I, I, I have some internal motivation, but most of my confidence comes from external points. And so I think I would say examine where you're at. Are you the person who has that confidence and that, you know, your team can like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to take it on. We can do it. And we, we feel solid and our exposure is minimal. Um, we don't feel like we're going to be liable for any of our mistakes that we make in this commercial world. Or like me, I was like, God, I need someone on my team. So that's kind of what I've always done is I've really looked for a team member, um, you know, and for hospitalities and hotels, I, I went looking for someone. You know, every time I would talk to people, I'd kind of find out. And there was a junior person who worked for us that had hotel experience, but it wasn't, she was more of a spec writer, I found out. Or, And so for me, I think I've always really relied on that confidence. If I have someone behind me who can do the work and who can help guide us to the technical piece um, and really lessen our exposure of liability, um, it was kind of also offering, I mean, you think about like, um, what was it? I mean... Some people may be too young, but in the, you know, early or late 2000s, it was like, oh my God, the W hotel bed, right? Do you guys remember when the W mattress, there's a few, right? It's like, oh, 
We could only have the W mattress, right? So everyone's like, oh, I want my home to look like a hotel suite. I mean, I remember writing blogs on that in 2012. Mm-hmm. What happened? It flipped, right? So then all of a sudden it became, ooh, I mean, that's like, that was a big piece of how we got hired for the Four Seasons in Vail was they wanted these, I think it was 16 suites we ended up doing. They wanted them to feel more residential. And they're like, oh, look, GHID has all this residential experience. So I think you kind of listen. And when you pick up a little nugget, run with it, right? But I think it's, uh, you know, it's really trying to find someone who's willing to work with you. Also for me, I've always been really open with people and like, hey, you know what? This is kind of our first rodeo. Can we do this together? Can you tell me, you know, I want to help you and we can do this. And if someone is like offering you up, like the opportunity to do some kind of a space, I mean, I feel like, I don't know what Gail and Aaron are going to say. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's that fee gets a little bit of an adjustment based on an experience. Um, and then you're investing in yourself. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, yeah, I think I told you that too. I, I, I really feel like if people are coming to you, it's organic and it's telling you something that uh-huh. you are they like you and what you're doing and they like your company and the way you operate. So yeah, figure out a way to do it. Stephanie, I recommend you do it because if I find that with my company, when the market went down in like 2000, when was it eight or whatever that I had been doing a lot of model homes, which of course they were no longer doing when the housing market tanked, but I had done commercial dental practices also. And so the commercial went up when the residential went down. And so, you know, we also try to do some like a furniture job and some remodeling projects. And so I find that I feel more comfortable. We do a lot of new construction, but I am very careful to make sure not it's not all new construction. Cause at one point I was doing that and it was all just flat fees on the, construction part and and that we needed furniture sales to help with the cash flow. So I think as a business owner now, 20 something years in, I realized that for me, I feel like having a diversity of projects, some that come in and get done quicker, like commercials kind of a little faster and then the long residential two-year mammoth projects. And then also having a kitchen here or a, um, you know, maybe a nice juicy furniture project, like, Doing a variety of projects keeps things interesting, but I also think it insulates me a little bit from having um, having all my eggs in one type of basket, depending on what the economy does. So branching out, I think, is a, a safe thing to do, too. I think, too, like if you do a really wonderful job for commercial, I mean, some of you who are doing commercial and hospitality, they're watching. They see there's a whole co- you're divide you're designing by committee. They're all watching. And. Those are right now, I would, I think three of the five new homes that we're designing, like Idaho and all these other places, vacation homes, it's all commercial clients that I had never even really met, but they were on the board or they were watching us do presentations and then they call you up and they're the ones who will fly you on their plane to go pick fabrics, you know, and so it's like, what? I don't even know you. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's kind of, you know, think about it. Like, it's not just a... It's not a one pitch game. It is kind of like, I think what Lisa was saying too, is it creates this really amazing, diverse opportunity that you're cultivating because they're all watching. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing that I would say too, is that when you get these things, these opportunities that come up, and that's the way we've built our business over time too, is our clients kept asking us for things. 
And we didn't have that. We didn't have the offers. And then we would come up with the offer. And then we would test it out. And then we would try it on them. And the price would be lower. And then later we would increase our price. And we increase the services and improve. And that is the way your company grows is if you're open to that, that organic growth, it's a tremendous um, opportunity because you are being led where the desire and the demand is within the business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just be okay with making some mistakes on the front end because that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what other questions do you all have about this? Because Garrison hit on a lot of really interesting things. And I guess my question for you is, what are you going to do with the information you're getting here today? And what will you do to look at your particular market to see what you should be paying attention to? Anybody have some thoughts on that? Because it's great to have the information, but what are you going to do with it? I liked your reminder to um, say no and only take a certain number of projects. So, yeah, it's a good message today. I guess <laughs> I guess I was curious, Garrison, because I know you, your background, you have so much information in your brain um, on the financial side. So I guess my question would be for those of us who don't have all of this financial insight and information at our fingertips, who are the people that can help us understand those dynamics within like our local market and looking at permits and those kinds of mm -hmm. things? Like, how would a layman go about trying to dig into that? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a really wonderful question, right? It's like, where's the resource come from and who is it? And if you don't mind, can I just yes, not please. role play with you? Just ask a few questions. <laughs> yes, please. It's like, dig, <laughs> get it. This is good. Um, well, so what type of, what's your ideal project that you're working on right now? Or what type of projects are you new home, um, substantial remodel, or what are you doing? We're about 75% new construction and then 25% or residential and then 25% commercial, what we this call boutique easy. commercial. Yeah. <laughs> this is easy. You're, already, you're right there. So do you get into the personal part of land development or who's doing the financing for your clients? No. <laughs> do you ever work with the same contractor or builder over and over? A little bit. That's it's pretty spread out. Like it's, we'll have three years between a project with one builder and then have yeah. that repeat builder. Yeah. So it's not, it's not consistent. That's, yeah. That's your guy to mm -hmm. listen and to take on that. I would say take on more of the, um, you know, the pre-construction. I, for me, that's where I would hit first, you know, mm -hmm. like if, you know, if it's bill and he's your guy, you get along with the most is like, just, I think having that coffee conversation about what's land development like, what are loans like, like how hard, what are people doing right now? And then listen, you know, if he's like, oh, well, we just work with John over at Century Bank or whatever, like, well, John's your guy. And then see if possible, could you, I mean, because the thing is, is probably whoever your contractor is using for financing for pre-construction is probably who all the other top builders are using. It. To me, that's what I did um, in an unusual way. I just was trying to learn more. And it just, all of a sudden there was this guy named John Bell <laughs> and he connected me to top builders that I had never even heard of. He's like, oh, they only do like one home, you know, every five years. And uh, it's also, so it helps you learn and you kind of find out 
because it's kind of like for me and you're doing commercial work as well. When, when the architects in the commercial world start slowing down, I'm like, I really listen and it's happening right now Mm -hmm. where they are scrappy. You know, they're very scrappy for any work they can get right now in the architectural world of commercial for us, because they're seeing line items go up millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So I think, I mean, for me, I would just kind of like start in, in the residential world. I would want to meet anyone who's doing land development or pre-construction that you've already met mm-hmm. or asked for that introduction. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Let me know how it goes. Like, or if it's a dead end I will. and you're like, that yeah. was useless. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's, that's a great tip. I actually ran into a, a parent of at the park this weekend and I didn't realize that he, um, we have kids in the same class. I didn't know that he was in land development and they're oh. getting ready to build like a massive project in our neighborhood. And so I did have that thought like, okay, I got to get together with him, but I didn't really mm-hmm. know like to what end other than obviously yeah. pitching ourselves. So I like that take on it. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of other things that I would encourage you to think about. And this is more of when I was in doing design, but the, um, there's a, a business development arm of your local chamber or of the city. And if you are aware of what they're up to in terms of what kind of companies they're trying to bring in and maybe what kind of incentives are being used to bring in corporations into your area, that can tell you a tremendous amount. The Chamber of Commerce has a ton of inf- information that you can tap into as well. Um, I think it was done. Was it done in Bradstreet that used to put out the construction permit information so you uh-huh. could uh, track that? We used to have reports when I was working for a Fortune 500 company, and that was one of the ways that we would track things down. We'd find out who the architects were on projects, and then I would go meet with them because I was my job was to get our products specified on new projects. So that was one thing. Also, um, one thing that I used to subscribe to, which I would highly recommend if you have one in your area, is the Business Journal. And if there, it's a nationwide company that does business journals for key markets. And um, I would read that thing front to back because the opportunities that come up and the information you gather from reading that one document is huge. And if you want to know what's going on in your marketplace and what's coming down the pike, that that's a great document to read. And it's not that big. It's like a newspaper, but it's small. It's more tabloid sized. You can, can also go on the call your count, like in our County, call your County mm-hmm. website. There's an, a, some place to look up permit, new permits in different yeah. categories as well. Look at bridge tower media. Um, so I would tell you that bridge tower media owns all across our country. Um, these journals that also talk about permits um, and developments, which can be an easy scan for you, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I think once you start seeing it, you, what I do is of course I have tons of uh, Google searches already formulated. So it updates me on those searches. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And you can just set those up as alerts. So you can just Google how to set up a Google alert on, a particular topic. So that's a great mm-hmm. suggestion. Another thing to look into for your area is, and this would be a great place for you all to get involved if you want, if you're trying to grow commercially and also to be ahead of the game and know who the movers and shakers are in the community, 
is looking at, does your city have a leadership program that you could get involved in? And it's about, um, you know, the future growth of the city. That can be a tremendous opportunity for you. And I know you don't all have just tons of extra time, but if you're serious about where you want to take your business in the future, I think you always have to be looking for um, making those influencer relationships stronger and finding out who the movers and shakers are within your community and, and developing connections. Uh, and you know how cheap I am. So I'll just throw in one tip. George, you'll sure. love this. <laughs> I have also volunteered to be a judge. Like if you see best of design or whatever for like commercial buildings in your town by these journals, just volunteer to be a judge mm -hmm. and then you'll get invited to the events. And then as they thank you, whenever someone ever thanks you for your help or your donation or your time, I always say, hey, there's one thing you can do to help me. Can you introduce me to someone? And here's what I'm looking for. That's great. Oh, that's brilliant. How do you keep up with the research on where who is competing with you, who's winning the projects, why they're winning the projects, why you're not getting them? And what kind of, how do you stay abreast of that? I'm, well, you know me, I'm pretty forward once you meet me. So, I mean, a lot of times I will just ask for that conversation if I, if I lose a project. Mm -hmm. um, residential, we don't really see that happen much. Um, we're so selective and there's these discovery calls and before I even get to meet someone. But I think in the commercial and hospitality world, I'm just very forward with people and ask them if I could have just a little bit of their time and I want to learn. Um, I've also been known to ask for other people's pitch deck. Like, Ooh. I know that price sounds horrible. Wow, but... you are messy. <laughs> um, I just got one on Monday. Uh, because I wanted to find out, like, what what does their pitch deck look like and what are they doing? Mm. Um, and I think it's, you know, really thinking about, for me first, you know how I am. I'm always assessing um, what is what am I have to output first. So what's the acquisition cost um, and looking at that versus my closure rate. Uh, and so there I'm going back in and trying to really try to understand. I also feel that if you really want to get into the commercial work, multifamily, hospitality, uh, you know, the TI, if you want to get into tenant improvements, um, you got to get out and visit. You got to see the comps, what's going on and who's doing it and ask questions. Um, I would say also to take your team so they can understand what you're interested in doing um, and to see that work. If you haven't actually done that work, it's really good to look at the most amazing, beautiful work that's out there. And it's also, you might be shocked to find out that, you know, you can make a ton of money and some maybe just market projects that aren't the highest of um, high luxury. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it is difficult to, I don't spend a lot of time to be honest, Gail, looking at others, what they're doing, um, you know, but I'd rather, cause it's so hard. We, we all portray this image, I guess, of who you want your brand to be. And so I find that online or through social media is, it's really difficult for me to spend time or waste time doing it. And so I'd rather really kind of hit the pavement and ask questions of people mm -hmm. um, and find out. I even ask vendors, like, cause there, there's a, a lot, and you know, the reps are horrible yeah. at gossiping, but yeah. you know, you just gotta figure out how to take advantage of it when you can and just find out like, what's so great about them. Or when they talk about those, you know, like, oh, I just placed this carpet order for, you know, 200,000 yards. Like why? 
Um, but I don't meet with competitors. Um, I don't do that. Uh, I think you have to be really curious about what's happening and why it's happening. And that's what you're basically saying, Garrison, is that you are very curious and you're also not uh, afraid of asking anything. You'll ask anybody anything. Yes. And you have to be, um, you know, really thinking about the fact that you as a business leader have to be very courageous about the way you approach your business. And if you're thinking about this from a very strategic viewpoint about how you want to grow and scale your business, you're going to ask different questions than um, why, why didn't I get that job? You're going to start looking at some of these broader issues that are going to impact your business because you need to be thinking about that down the road. Mm-hmm. And it, you so, know, it's just, oh, oh sorry. I was oh, just no, going okay, go to say it's, sorry, Ginger. Uh, I was just going to say too, it's for me to listen and to make sure I recognize where to put my energy. Um, Cause there are, there is one developer that I really wanted to work with. I've only worked with them once. Um, and the fees were trite. I mean, tremendous in the high sixes digits. Um, but I also heard like this other designer from LA would travel with her and meet her for dinner and uh, I don't want that. So it's, that's not a fit for me. Like I don't want to, I don't need no besties. Like you, you can find that somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ginger, go ahead. Oh no, 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 that's okay. Um, so I, I totally resonate with what you're saying completely. And I think that sometimes there are definitely um, appropriate times to be really gutsy with communication and, and whether it's, you know, we're, we're approaching a land developer or a competitor in those different conversations, how we're getting information to understand things. And so um, right before COVID hit, we were approached by Macy's corporate and they wanted us to design um, um, a pilot concept called market by Macy's. And so we got the job and we designed this whole cafe, <laughs> super cool project. Um, now, uh, but like, okay, <laughs> I said yes to this project and I'm like, holy crap. Now what? What'd I do? I feel like I had to beg, borrow, steal and lie to like get through their application vetting process. Cause it was so intense, but I was like, we're doing it. I know we're capable. <laughs> Calm down. It's going to be fine. But let me tell you what, like, I was so unsure of how to charge for this particular yeah. project. I was like, if I don't charge enough, they're going to think I'm a joke. Okay. This is real people. Okay. (laughs) But you know what I did? I called, um, top design firm, top, top, top in the state of Texas in Dallas. And they had done the very first, um, pilot for, for Macy's for the same concept in another location. And I called and I said, I, you know, their phone number wasn't listed. I went to the Instagram, looked to see if I could message. It was a random number on Instagram. I called it. I got the, and she was like, she just said, hello. Like, I don't even think she knew her, her number was on there. And she answered and I said, Hey, I'm a, uh, we're, we're colleagues and we have a mutual client. So I made sure that she understood there was a connection between us. And I said, look, I, I just want to, um, I just want to find out like, Hey, did they behave? Were they a good client for you? I'm about to take them on as a client. And then, so she, we got friendly and chatted and then guess what? I (laughs) slid in there right before we got off the phone. I said, Oh, 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 Hey, by the way, what'd you charge? And she was like, she was so caught off guard that all she could do was answer the question. And she told me right there and then. And I was like, bye. Click. And I was like, I typed that number into my proposal and we got it. 
And she's like, wow. wait, what was your name again? <laughs> I was like, wait, who, who, who is this? <laughs> that's awesome. Oh my God, that's one of the best stories. <laughs> but it works, right? And I think, I mean, I've done that before. I, When I first got into commercial, I asked another architect whose wife was a designer. I said, how do you figure out the fee? Like, is it square footage? Is What is it, right? And they shared with me this really clunky, horrible spreadsheet. And then I've, I kind of took that and created my own. I love that story. Yeah, that's an awesome story. If it had been residential, no problem. I could do it blindfolded with one leg and no teeth. Well, I could have yeah. the project. But like, I, I felt like this was a different caliber, not just because it was commercial. We'd done commercial before, but it was a it was a it was a client that's, you know, this is a this is a global brand, you right. know, and it it couldn't be too low, couldn't be too high. I knew that there was a sweet spot, and I knew mm-hmm. somebody else had the answer. That's uh, awesome. To that, you know, so sometimes you just gotta. <laughs> Silence the voices in your head. (laughs) (laughs) And just be gutsy. Yeah. I love that. Oh, my gosh. That was so funny. All right. Um, Let's think about some of the other questions that we can talk about. We've talked about stock market, interest rates, Russia, permitting, new legislation, forecasting, uh, slumpflation, skipflation, which I had not heard of either of those, inflation. Um, And then, of course, COVID. So, you know, Garrison and I will, of course, never forget our initial conversations about that because we were just getting ready to come out to Portland to meet with your team and then you were talking about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even believe this is coming up. And then sure enough, while we were there just a month later, it became an issue and it really affected all of us. So what do you think about what's going to happen with COVID and how it's going to impact us in the next couple of years? Um, I, you know, I, I think we're going to move forward. <laughs> I think we're we going to survive, choice, really, right? right? Yeah. I think we're going to move forward. I, I, yep. I, I do think that it's this moment in time where we are really taking a look at, um, valuing others. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's happening. And I think it started at the service level and the hired help level, um, to really, understand as a business owner, you know, what is it that we offer um, to our employees and what is the culture, no matter, um, you know, I have eight individuals on my team that make over six figures. Um, It's a large expense, let alone all the benefits and everything else that goes with it. And um, so, but I think it's looking at every person within your organization and what we're seeing whether it's your install team or, you know, the people who you buy flowers from. So that what is considered a great resignation, I feel like is a great reset. Um, It's this moment of reset to really understand like, and and I think we all know those people who've squeaked by with no profits, right? They ran a business. You heard them talk about it, you know, um, at the restaurant or at the nail salon. And so I think now it's like, you can't really lean on, um, individuals without paying them, you know, fair market. So mm-hmm. I, I think that is something that as COVID has brought forth and we will move forward. Now, I also feel like getting your nails done may be a luxury that you'll never see again, you know, in some markets. Um, there could possibly be, um, you know, certain catering that will never be done again because there won't be staff. So I do think that we're, there's a change happening. Um, 
And of course, with inflation and surcharges, they will never lower their prices ever, right? Uh, So the prices that are, you know, built in or being tacked on or there you are what they are, they'll never change. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think though, there is a reckoning that's happening um, that some of the more attainable uh, services will diminish even more Mm -hmm. is my thought. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and I think too, with COVID, we know that it's going to be here for a while. There will be treatments, there will be things coming out, there will be other pandemics that we'll deal with in the future years. It was just a matter of time before this was going to happen. So now that it's here, I think we've all felt the pain of it because nobody quite knew how to respond to it. And so now that we have kind of accepted that it's part of uh, life in the future for us, then we have to be aware of that. But the other thing that I think is coming up, and we will be talking about at retreat, is about compensation. And it's about, um, and I think it's also about culture for your companies. And if you're having turnover, you know, it's not, that's kind of a common thing. Everybody has some turnover at some point. But um, you're going to have less of it if you continue to focus on paying people fairly, having the right kind of benefits, being flexible, really adapting to the marketplace. Um, But, you know, just really thinking about what is your culture and what is it you're trying to build as a company and developing relationships that are close. Because I think in the end, people want to work places where they're appreciated and they're compensated and they are they like the people and they like the culture and, and the community that they're a part of. And so to me, that's going to be um, more and more important as we go forward. I think it's just throttling, you know, your own demand and your own output, right? Sure. It's, I, I think that to me garners more respect by most individuals. Um, if you're just showing constraint and showing thoughtfulness in the workload, Mm-hmm. Um, and setting expectations, it's, you know, I, I think that is probably, and then following your processes, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's I, in our, you know, in our managers meeting this morning, our monthly one, you know, it was kind of one of the things I talked about was, um, you know, bad habits become more dangerous when you take on new challenges. Yes. Because your bad habit if we have a tendency to think, oh, look, no one will notice this, that I don't, I don't file the server name correctly or whatever. Um, and so it's, you know, it's really trying to examine and take that moment, deal with these missteps mm-hmm. and self-correct. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, can be one of the biggest attributes as someone who is a founder or owner or supervisor is help others coach them to self-correct. Yeah. And ask, and I, and that's one of the, you know, Gail, we've talked about this with Aaron and McKenzie is, um, you know, to ask someone, okay, I know that I know you're late every day. That's your thing, right? You've always been this way in your life. When you're on time though, what do you, what does it feel like? And get them to tell that moment because there is, there's feelings matter. And it's like, Oh, well, yeah, I have my keys in my hand and my coffee and I sit down and I'm like, no one's going to be like, whatever that feeling is, or I send out the meeting minutes by 10 a.m. the next business day. What does it feel like? And 
I think that will, what we're finding is, is we continue to help people self-correct so there's not issues. And it's turned out to be really valuable, especially for our, uh, I would say like the people who are in that three to four, maybe five year experience level, they're dying for a title change or for something else they've heard their friend get. But why? Yeah, they have to earn it. Uh-huh. This is not the, uh, to me, it's not the age of being, of encouraging entitlement of our employees. We cannot do that. We have to be aware that they have to earn the the raises and the things that are coming their direction. They don't just get them. And uh, that's one thing that's been stunning to me lately is how much I'm hearing about the kids that are coming straight out of college and they expect <laughs> these really high salaries. And it's like, well, <laughs> you got to earn it. You can't mm-hmm. just have it. And then if you start giving people raises or give a higher salary to somebody coming in, you have to go back and evaluate the salaries of the rest of your team because you cannot uh, you cannot give new people more money than the people who've been with you and helped you build that company. You have to be really careful of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Wow. We have covered a lot of ground today. I think residential commercial conversations that we had. Um, we do very little commercial, um, but we recently had a walkthrough of a local restaurant and, um, it was new to us and Missy has been processing it. And so have I, but I think hearing everybody's response to that, um, I was very intrigued listening to Garrison's firm and the divisions that he has. Um, I loved, um, when he spoke about, tap into the talent and put the talent where their strengths are. Um, I loved hearing that Garrison. So thank you for that. That was very encouraging. And um, I also liked the um, self-correct. I actually listened to a podcast this morning about how to, it was more about parenting. When you see a child do something wrong, like play video games way too much. And how do you get a child that's playing a video game way too much to stop? You lean into the strength of them and see what's good and say, listen, I love your diligence that you put into this by playing this for eight hours. That shows that you can do something else for eight hours. So like just um, that reminded me of that when um, you were talking about self-correct and then the commercial thing um, encouraged me to not be afraid of that, not to be afraid to pursue it. Awesome. Great. Love that. Okay. Who else would like to contribute? I've got something to contribute. Yeah, I think I have about like 10 pages of notes from Me today, <laughs> which is good because I like to go back and look through everything. But um, just right off the bat, you know, um, I have feel like what I have to do is go through it and see what is the best fit for me. And I think that would be my advice for everybody else too, because I can get overwhelmed with looking at 10 pages of notes and say, what should I do next? And I know me. And I think the best thing for me to do is go back and look through it and see what I feel like would benefit me, um, and my personality and how I know I, um, how I work best. And so one of the things just right off the bat that I took away that I really loved is volunteering to, um, be a judge on something. And I think that is just a really good way to just meet new people and get out there by contributing and not just being at an event. And so for me, I know that would be a really great way to participate in something and feel like I'm necessary there and then be able to meet people in that avenue. So, um, that was a great takeaway for me. So thank you. You'll be the expert. 
Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Gail, I'd like to add a little something. Um, I was going to yeah. comment on that as well, Marissa. Um, I was asked to be on a board, I don't know, last year or sometime uh, as, as the designer expert. There was the architect, the lighting person, the landscape. And so there was this whole board and <clears throat> we all got to, you know, add our stuff. And it, it, it gave all of us, you know, a lot of, I won't say notoriety, but like respect within the field, because if you're sitting there on the panel, they just assume that you know a lot, you know, about your field. And, and it was, it was fun. And, and um, I always um, say yes to those opportunities when I'm asked LA on my staff has been asked to come back to his college again, his uh, design school to be on a panel of some kind. So those are always really great opportunities to get the, your company out there and, and network. One thing I, that I will, will take away from this too is um, just look into biz journals. I'm going to research yeah. that. Um, but the, also what I wanted to add is that we, <clears throat> I've done, uh, you know, we're mostly high-end residential in Naples, Florida, but I have done a good bit of commercial over the years, a lot of doctor's offices, lawyer's offices, you know, small stuff like that. But, oh, and, but in the last couple of years, I've done two um, condominiums where we did all the common spaces, the common lobby, grand salon, hallways, you know, all of that in, in two condos. And what was the other one recently? And, <clears throat> oh, we're doing another big condo this next summer. Um, we've gotten projects from those and they were hard to put a number to and we didn't make a lot um because they always have tight budgets these these condominiums and you're working with the committee and it's not a lot of fun however you do get to meet a lot of people and you do get projects like condos you know i've gotten several projects from the oh three condominiums yeah so it's definitely worth doing. And if you don't have access to those commercial carpets or commercial grade furniture, you just go online and you look or go to interior design magazine. Cause that's mostly contract related stuff. Um, and you just start calling vendors, call Masland, call the companies and say, I need books of your carpet samples, or you go online and Google and it's not that much different. I mean, it's really not that much different than residential. There are some standards, you know, that you have to meet and fire rating and all that for wall covering, but you can learn that pretty quickly um, or reach out to some of us, you know, and we can give you names of some contract vendors that are really good for wall covering, carpet, furniture, things like that. Because um, mm -hmm. and it's fun. It's easier to me. Commercial is a lot easier, a lot less generally less time consuming, except for committees and condominiums. That's not so great. But um, in general, commercial projects are less emotional. Yeah, you know for sure. So mm -hmm. I, I I like them mixed in. Yeah, awesome. I guess that's it for now. Oh, a country club. I do want to say this because LA is not like all that excited about this project. <laughs> He's on the call. Um, and you know, it's probably again, not a real high profit project, but it's this little new up and coming co country club golf course community. 
And my argument for him is, you know, yeah, it's not like high end. It's not the Ritz. It's not, but the people that you that we will meet and come in contact with, we will gain work from it in the future. Yeah. There's, you know, there's always, so anyway, I mean, it's not our ideal client. So, you know, that's his argument. This is not our ideal client. Well, no, but mm. so anyway, that's it. Thank you okay. for listening. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> All right. So everybody, um, thank you so much. Unless I'll give Garrison a big. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank Garrison. You. Hey.